Welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Friday, June 21st, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, an update on Harris's HIV prevention bill, Warren's Refund Equality Act, online reaction to the candidate's comfort foods, and good news about streaming the debates. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Let's start today with a quick update on yesterday's story about Senator Kamala Harris's bill to prevent the spread of HIV. As I predicted, yeah, the bill text came out right after I recorded yesterday's segment. Okay, the legislation was presented as Senate Bill 1926, a bill to increase access to pre-exposure prophylaxis to reduce the transmission of HIV. By the way, that's what PrEP stands for, pre-exposure prophylaxis. So, like I expected, there are no new details on costs or how to pay for things in this bill. Now, the bulk of this bill is just amending a bunch of existing law to now include the PrEP stuff, and there is no appropriation given for that because those laws themselves have clauses that handle their appropriations. Obviously, this bill would have an effect on those, but the Congressional Budget Office has not yet weighed in, and as far as I've seen, Senator Harris has not offered an estimate on what these changes would add up to. In other cases, the bill does authorize funding, but doesn't actually give a number. So, for example, on page 22, lines 7 through 9, Harris writes the following about how to fund the education outreach program to improve public awareness of PrEP. Quote, Authorization of appropriations. There are authorized to be appropriated such sums as may be necessary for each of fiscal years 2021 through 2026. End quote. Such sums as may be necessary. Now, what those necessary sums are, I don't know. I do think the assumption here is that they are relatively low sums, so picking a specific number right now is not that big a deal. Okay, and then in the section about the grant program for states, territories, and tribes to provide PrEP and related services to uninsured people, here is the language that adds up to the $300 million that I mentioned yesterday. This is from page 26, lines 12 through 15. Quote, F. Authorization of appropriations. There are authorized to be appropriated to carry out this section $60 million for each of the first five fiscal years beginning after the date of the enactment of this section. End quote. All right, so that's the update, and there are links in the show notes to the bill text if you're into that. So, while I was searching on Congress.gov for the text of Harris's bill, I came across another bill from a candidate also introduced yesterday in the Senate. This one comes from Senator Elizabeth Warren, and it has 42 co-sponsors. Here's the title, quote, Senate Bill 1940, a bill to permit legally married same-sex couples to amend their filing status for tax returns outside the statute of limitations, end quote. While I think that title is somewhat self-explanatory, let's dig a little deeper to get the background. All right. In 2013, the Supreme Court decided U.S. v. Windsor, which struck down part of the Defense of Marriage Act, or DOMA. The specific issue in Windsor had to do with taxes. So here's the situation. Edie Windsor was legally married to Thea Spire in Canada, and the couple lived in New York State. Spire died in 2009 and left her estate to Windsor. Windsor then tried to claim the federal tax exemption for a surviving spouse. But, under DOMA, the term spouse was defined as applying only to marriages between a man and a woman. 
Because of that, the IRS denied Windsor that tax benefit, which cost her more than $350,000 in additional estate taxes. So she sued the federal government in late 2010 in New York State, it got kicked upstairs, and the rest is history. Okay, so the net outcome of the Windsor case was that the federal government had to provide the same benefits to same-sex married couples that it offers to opposite-sex married couples. One of those benefits is allowing married people to file jointly on their taxes. So in 2017, Senator Elizabeth Warren introduced the Refund Equality Act along with Representative Richard Neal in the House, who is also from Massachusetts. Remember, this was two years ago. Let me read from an NBC News story from Brooks Apelsa from that time. This part starts with a quote by Warren. Quote, For nearly a decade, legally married same-sex couples had to file their taxes as single persons, often paying more taxes than they would owe if they could file as married, Warren said in a statement emailed to NBC News. This bill is a simple fix to allow same-sex couples to claim the tax refunds they earned but were denied because of who they love. Currently, married couples who previously file taxes separately are only permitted to file amended joint returns dating back three years. This restriction does not allow gay couples who were married in jurisdictions that recognize same-sex marriage prior to the Windsor case to claim refunds for the entirety of their marriage. The Refund Equality Act would create an exemption to this three-year limit. End quote. Translation, the Refund Equality Act would say you can go back and take that whole 10 years, not just three years. So that 2017 bill was introduced in the House, but didn't go anywhere. A week ago, Representative Judy Chu of California reintroduced the bill, and it passed the House Ways and Means Committee, which means it is on its way to a floor vote in the House at some point. This led Warren to reintroduce the bill in the Senate, along with her gigantic list of co-sponsors, which includes all of the senators running for president right now. If enacted, the total cost of this bill would be up to $57 million, according to an analysis by the Joint Committee on Taxation. No floor votes have yet been held. I want to tell you about another short daily news podcast that will keep you informed quickly. That's a great compliment to this show because it comes out first thing in the morning, by 4 a.m. actually. It's called The Newsworthy, and it gives you all the day's news. We're talking 8 to 12 news stories in less than 10 minutes, so you can quickly get informed as you start your day. The Newsworthy tells you the key things to know that day in politics and business, as well as the fun stuff like tech, science, and entertainment. The Newsworthy keeps you informed on so many things that it's not just doom and gloom like some traditional news, and it's always unbiased, with perspectives from a wide variety of news sources. The Newsworthy is all about being fast, fair, and fun. Oh, and guess what? On Thursdays, there are quick bonus interviews after the news that provide more about different news topics each week. So Add it to your playlist and get informed first thing each weekday morning. If you check out yesterday's show, you'll get a bonus interview with a Bloomberg writer all about the primaries, and I know you were interested in that. So search for The Newsworthy in your favorite podcast app or go to thenewsworthy.com to listen now. That's The Newsworthy, all one word. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. 
Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, this next story is just a little bit of fun. Let's have some dessert with our vegetables, right? So earlier this week, the New York Times posted a massive video project in which they asked a ton of the primary candidates a long series of questions, and then we got to see how they responded. Now, before we get into it, I have to read from the fine print at the very bottom of the page. Quote, The New York Times reached out to 22 Democratic presidential candidates to ask them the same set of questions on video. 21 accepted the invitation. End quote. So guess which one said no? Well, I'll give you a second... Yeah, it's Joe Biden. Yet again, Biden stands alone in this pack by not showing up when a zillion other candidates do. So it's a bummer that we don't get to hear what his answers would have been. Now, I also want to point out that the New York Times did not include Wayne Messam or Mike Gravel, the other two candidates who are still on my list of possible contenders. The Times picked out 18 questions to ask the candidates. I'm not going to read the entire list of them here because, you know, they have a gigantic page devoted to that, and you really should go look at that. But I want to point out some of the issues they got into. The very first question has to do with guns. They asked, quote, In an ideal world, would anyone own handguns? End quote. And then they roll right into healthcare, climate change, human rights, war, immigration, the death penalty, tech companies, the Supreme Court, you name it, there's lots of issues covered there. But here's the thing. In my experience as a writer and reporter, I have interviewed a lot of people, including on camera. And the reality is you can't just talk about the hardcore issues. You do have to throw some amount of humanity and humor in. And often those questions, the ones that you don't think amount to much, actually result in the best answers. That's especially true for politicians because they tend to have rehearsed answers for a lot of policy and politics related questions. So if you come in from left field, you might get a really honest new answer. Personal story time. One time I did a phone interview with James Elroy, who is the author of L.A. Confidential and The Black Dahlia and many others. In that interview, I found out the hard way that the only topics that man would engage on were menswear and dogs. Like, seriously, he got way into that stuff. We talked about how he has a special tailor who makes his shirts to his special sizes. He sent me the guy's name. We talked about this one dog for about like 20 minutes, but he did not want to talk about his books or his TV show, which is what I was supposed to be asking him about. And as a result, that interview never got published. Anyway, so the New York Times threw in a few of those human interest questions, and one of them really, really blew up in a good way. The big reaction came from question number 16, quote, What is your comfort food on the campaign trail? End quote. Okay, so I'm going to play a clip here that mashes up a bunch of those answers, and this is one where it does help to see the video. Link in the show notes, because you probably won't recognize all the candidates' voices here. But believe me, in the analysis after this, you will hear a lot of who's who. And by the way, I also think it's really fun to listen for which candidates you do recognize just by their voices. All right, again, the question is, what's your comfort food on the campaign trail? Listen in. When you're a vegan, that means uh, lots of veggies on the go. I try to stay away from it, but vegan cupcakes is is probably a real threat on the trail. (laughs) Any kind of fast food. I love a good hamburger. I mean, you can't beat a burger for a quick classic American meal. Grilled chicken sandwich from McDonald's, no sauce, two of them. 
a baked potato. Italian sausage sandwich at Paschke in Pueblo, Colorado. I think if I've got one go-to, it's like pulled pork. Kind bars are my comfort food. I do have a sweet tooth, and I will look for those little bowls of you know, M&M's or mints. It was M&M's, but I've taken an oath now to lay off of the M&M's to maintain uh, belt uh, security. Last time out, we did a trip to the West Coast and I gained three pounds in four days. So uh, there's too much comfort food. (laughs) I have no comfort food. The word got out that I like beef jerky. And so uh, uh, people have been kind enough to uh, uh, give that to me on the road sometimes. I'm an ice cream guy. I don't have a comfort food. I have a comfort drink, which is uh, iced tea. It's really comfort coffee. Um, My favorite coffee is a mocha. Glass of whiskey at the end of the night. Probably chips and guacamole. French fries. (laughs) I love a good French fry. Or a few. Or many. Or just the whole thing. Okay, so let's dig into this. First off, the whiskey was Gillibrand, and Williamson was the person who said she had no comfort food. Delaney was the grilled chicken sandwich from McDonald's guy. The kind bars were Yang, and Ryan was the ice cream guy. And so on Twitter, the reaction was intense. The Twitter account Behind2020 gave us a list of some of the notable answers. Quote, Warren, chips and guacamole. Harris, fries. Gabbard, vegan cupcakes. Buttigieg, beef jerky. Gillibrand, whiskey. Castro, iced tea. Booker, veggies. Klobuchar, baked potato. And Williamson, I have no comfort food, end quote. Okay, so this escalated very quickly. (laughs) Lily Adams, who is Harris's communications director, tweeted the Harris clip about eating all the fries. She wrote, quote, Yesterday she showed me photos of fries she made at home in duck fat. The woman is not messing around about her favorite food, end quote. And then Darth, who is Twitter famous for Photoshop skills, replied in all caps, quote, where are these duck fry photos, Lily? End quote. And then immediately, Joan Walsh, who was a national affairs correspondent for The Nation, jumped in too, writing, quote, Yes, we need them, Lily, and we need the recipe right away. End quote. And so Adams, being a pro, replied with four photos of the fry cooking process from Harris's kitchen and wrote the following, quote, Instructions direct from KDH. Twice cooked. First in peanut oil, then in duck fat. Rosemary and sage from her herb garden. Hand cut each fry, each one. End quote. It didn't stop there. Jeremy K. Stout joined in, saying you should soak the potatoes first to help with the deep frying. So Adams texted that tweet to Harris and screenshotted her iPhone, showing the response. Harris had texted back, quote, I did soak them for three hours. End quote. And then CNN's Jake Tapper tweeted, quote, Come on, Cory Booker, veggies aren't comfort food, end quote. And Booker replied, quote, Oh, I can assure you that Vonda's Kitchen's Brussels sprouts are comfort food at Jake Tapper, end quote, including a photo of him chowing down on some in the kitchen at Vonda's. Meanwhile, in a piece for The Cut, Madeline Agler asked, Which 2020 candidate's comfort food is the most haunting? I don't want to spoil the piece, but she really had some issues with Amy Klobuchar saying that a baked potato qualifies as comfort food. All right, there's a link to that in the show notes. Go have fun, everybody. It is Friday. You have earned it. Now, I also want to say there is a ton of substantial discussion of policy on this page as well. So my hope is you start with the food, then you dig into the policy. 
The New York Times piece is really, really big and long and interactive. So you can click into whatever question you like or whatever candidate you like and see how they answer these important questions, plus the kind of silly ones. And last up today, here's a quick note on how to watch the upcoming debates, and not just the ones next week, but all of them. In a story for CNN yesterday, Brian Stelter revealed that the DNC now requires every network that carries a DNC-sanctioned debate, in other words, every single primary debate, to provide free, non-authenticated live streams of that debate online. Now, we already kind of knew this was happening for the NBC debate next week, but this is pretty rad because it means those of us who prefer or require streaming video, for instance, everybody overseas, will have access to the streams. There are actually two parts to this story. The first thing is the part I just said, that the streaming is required. It was not required in 2016, by the way. So, for example, next week's debates will be available on all the NBC websites and stuff and Telemundo, but also Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Now, the second part of this is, you know how sometimes when you visit a web page for something like CNN and you try to watch live video there? Even if you have a cable package, you have to sign in. And very often the site seems to forget that you did that and makes you sign in again. And it's a super big pain, especially when you're in a hurry and trying to watch something live. Well, the DNC is saying that is not okay for these debates. The networks must provide streams that do not require any sign-in. Hence the YouTube, Facebook, Twitter stuff. Now, it's not necessarily saying that every network has to stream on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, but it makes a ton of sense for each network to go and get their streams out on all those big sites just to get more people to watch. It's just easier that way. So, for my fellow streamers out there, rejoice. And pick your streaming site now so you can be sure that you know how to get it onto your TV. Now, I'm probably sticking with YouTube just because I know how to get that onto my TV, but you've got some options. Link in the show notes in case you want a little more info. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Oh, what a week it has been. I've got one useful update for you on the way out for the weekend. And that is about debate bingo. So in case it's not clear, you're going to want to print out the debate bingo cards when they're available. They'll be designed to fit on 8.5 by 11 inch paper. I'm going to work on them over the weekend and see how far I get. The hope is to get these out to you on Monday or Tuesday, so you have plenty of time to print them out before the debates on Wednesday. So stay tuned, get your pencils ready, clear your evenings for Wednesday and Thursday. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all on Monday.